Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This program offers discussion and information on experiences of chronic and invisible illnesses. It should not be used for medical advice or as an alternative to advice from medical professionals. Um, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. Um, my name's Mario. Um, before we do anything, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, whose land we broadcast from today, and pay my respects to elders past and present. Um, Joining me today is Gemma Mahadeo. Yeah, <laughs> I totally forgot to ask you before we went on there. Um, uh, Gemma is a Melbourne-based poet born in the UK. Um, welcome. Hi. So we planned this ages ago um, and then recently we ended up sitting at a forum together, not knowing who we yeah. were <laughs> until pretty much the whole thing was finished, which is kind of weird. So... Today we're going to be talking about World Mental Health Awareness Week, which is next week, um, and we're going to be focusing on um, stigma and also other things um, just around the mental health system and lived experience as well of, of all that. Um, so before we do that, Gemma, I remember you saying when we talked last that you were kind of up to some really exciting things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what have you been up to? Um, so I was asked to appear in the Emerging Writers Festival um, on food writing. Um, I went up to Queensland for the first time, um, to Brisbane for the Queensland Poetry Festival. Mm. And the theme of the festival was vital signs. So they were very concerned about self-care and well-being and how we creatively express that in our work. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I did a set of poems that were about... Um, some some mental health conditions I have, um, but also um, things like overuse. So um, I was a concert band nerd um, in high school mm. and can't really practice flute for hours like I used to be able to because, <laughs> yeah, I have overuse, which is the lesser version of RSI. Can you talk more about um, the creative responses to mental health? Because I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, so I mainly write poetry and I had read... Uh, last year I was doing a reading with another poet. Mm. I bought her book and she had a section of poems in it called Inpatient, brackets, impatient. And it was about, um, she has quite a dark humour and it was about being in a psych ward. Mm. Um, so I thought I would do my own version. I I was just based on what I'd read it sounded like it was from the experience of um, having bipolar. Yeah. And so I thought for some reason it would be funny if I did my own version. Um, I have major depressive disorder, so I, I don't really get the mood swings that, um, that happen with bipolar. Yeah. So I thought it would be funny to call, call it um, inpatient, but I'm really quite patient. Um, yeah, and then just wrote a poem a week or two, um, a week or a fortnight um, until I had now, I think I've got about 20 poems in that um, sequence. Mm, great. Um, so you did, a, you, did a, you did a performance in Queensland as well. Yep. How did that go? Um, it went really well. Yeah, I got a sinus infection, so I wasn't able to 
play the flute snippets that I was going to play. That was such a bummer. Yeah. I couldn't play my melodica either, which I... So I dragged up these two musical instruments to Brisbane and then couldn't play them because... Oh, fucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but... can, you, can you talk to us about what the show was about and what you did? So um, it was called Body Opera and the um, thing was it was a chronic illness poem sequence. Yeah. So I think there was one poem I wrote when I was... I think it was prior to having had um, electroconvulsive therapy for mm. the first time. So that was my experience of depression was really, really different then. Um, there was one about, um, so it used repetition a lot um, because I was having a joke with myself about how um, if you have ECT, then you might forget your exes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wrote a poem which had a lot of repetition in it. Um, wrote one about how playing flute hurts my body. Yeah. Um, and then read that one and trying to remember what the other one was. It was called Diagnosis 4 Minutes Something Something Seconds. Mm. And I tried to make it a humorous um, take on... Oh, the Centrelink New Start dance when you aren't mm. quite eligible for a disability support pension. Yes. But you have a chronic illness that means that you're. it's going to be very, very difficult for you to sustain full-time work. Mm. And that, that disability pension stuff is just, it's uh, it's getting worse, isn't it? Like it's yeah. so hard to to even be eligible for it. But not just that, but the actual process I think it causes us to be more unwell. <laughs> um, I have had the form, the DSP form, sent to me three times in the last five or six years. And it, it feels really weak, but I've just given up because it just, it was too panic inducing. And I also, I, I don't think I was well enough to mm. properly follow through on chasing up all the info from um, my psychiatrist, a lot of the onus with the DSP is that you have to be the, you've got to be well enough mm. to a certain degree to advocate for, yeah, just, oh my gosh, the info that they want is, absolutely. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and I went through the process as well, kind of semi-recently. Um, but even it's a huge effort for your doctors and your Yep. stuff to do it you know I remember he was working weekends just to do my application and it was like this big folder thick as and you're just like it's a lot of work for everybody and they don't actually give you that much time to actually put everything together hey no they don't it's very quick it's just like oh yeah like my doctor's got heaps of time he can just do this you know yeah I think there's also certain conditions certain chronic illnesses and mental illness I think is one of them that is even harder just in order to actually get approved. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, they're just not considered things. It, it It's basically there's still that mentality of, oh, if you try harder, you'll, you'll get better. Yes. Um, which it's, yeah, which you just wouldn't say that to someone who's had an amputation. Mm. You wouldn't tell them to get over it by trying to grow back their limb. It, yeah. So I don't I don't know why we're asking people with um, different levels of neurochemicals to just what just mag auto magically yeah. um, 
get your body to start making them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which brings us to um, World Mental Health Awareness Week. Yep. So, like, how do you think we are going as a society in terms of raising awareness and, you know, breaking down that stigma surrounding mental illness? Do you think it's getting better or do you think there's still, you know, we're in the early stages of that? Um, I think it's got a lot better in the last 10 years. Um but so I, I, I'm a person of colour and I still mm. feel that with particular, with, with certain communities, they still find it quite hard to acknowledge because um, we were talking about this before, how mm. if, um, if you're a migrant or um, a child of migrants, your parents are often working their asses off, focused on, um, I guess, doing life better so so that means often working more but then you don't that there are certain things you don't notice when you're working your ass off and um to think of people's emotional health even even to think of their own emotional health and safety and needs is still considered quite luxurious Mm. which is a shame because um i think particularly with um, emotions, it's emotional literacy. It's a really good thing to um, be open about um, as soon as you can. It's not something to be ashamed of. Mm. Um, in some of our communities, I think we still are quite ashamed to admit that we're struggling with something or or our feelings are really hurt because we've had a falling out with someone Um mm. But we're only human. We're social animals. Of course, that stuff is going to affect us. Yeah. Um, I also feel like the responses that people get in some communities also dissuades other people from talking about it. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents or my background is Croatian, and you know, Croatia has had generations of war. And there's lots of trauma in the community. Absolutely, And that still goes for people. That goes also for people who arrive in Australia. But there's just like this almost denial (laughs) that there's there's this huge amount of trauma in the community. No one talks about it. But then when someone does display some symptoms and stuff, they kind of get criticised and told that they're all sorts of things, you know. Yeah. So it stops other people and it stops the conversation because, yeah, the response is just so bad. Yeah, um, that was, I think when when I got diagnosed, I was pretty open about it, but I've also been on antidepressants for all of my adult life Mm. Um, and and had been outed by an ex who knew that I was in hospital and had somehow found out that I was having ECT. And even though, so that became public knowledge to people that I didn't necessarily want to have that knowledge. Mm. Um, I thought it would just be easier to, so as not to have to keep track of who I had or hadn't told, I thought, well, I'm, maybe I'll just be honest about it. Mm. And um, because I also think that there's a, um, an incredible amount of privilege in being able to be open about it. Yes. I understand that I'm extremely lucky that, um, yeah, it's it's something that you need to practice. It's It can be really difficult to be open about mm. But I've been open about it for so long that it's um, I might I don't see it that way, and I hope I would hope that other people w- will 
start to feel similarly because there's still so many people that think, no, um, I just need to keep trying harder. Mm. But it's just, it's you probably have done all you humanly can. Yeah. And it's okay to, it's okay to get help and it's okay to admit that you need help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was, I was going to ask, like, did it's those kind of early days and stuff, did you kind of feel like you could, you had, you had to kind of hide parts of yourself depending on where you were and who you were talking to and kind of the communities you were around? Um, I think, so my depression probably started when I was in high school. I wanted to believe that it was just teen angst, like properly just thought, yep, this is, um, this is what everyone feels like. Mm. So why do I, um, why am I, why am I thinking about this so much? I didn't realize that it was quite serious until I got diagnosed when I was at uni, when I had my first breakdown Mm. and yeah, it was difficult because I, it took a few years for it to sink in. It was not one of those things that was going to go away. Yeah. Like, um, I guess, so with something like with reactive depression, if you, you usually know what the specific event is that's caused you, um, to become quite upset and it starts to affect other areas of your life. Uh, having, I guess, a chronic mood disorder is not like that though. Mm. It, um, yeah, so I probably should have had it looked at earlier, but also I don't really think I knew anyone as a teen that I could have talked to about mm. it because it just wasn't ever spoken about. I think at my, my high school, there was one person who'd taken their life and it never got mentioned. Like Everyone knew that wow. it happened, but nobody ever talked about what that person must have been going through or even wanted to imagine or for the for the everybody to grieve to grieve that but they you know? yeah they they definitely they grieved for him yeah but it yeah it was just such a clinical way of mm. um acknowledging that someone was gone yeah do you think that i i kind of feel like um cuz i speak to a lot of young people um, and I feel like young people are actually heaps better now at talking about kind of mental illness and mental health. Um, and that, that generate the younger generation, I think are actually kind of quite ahead of adults yeah. <laughs> in terms of kind of normalizing it in some ways. Would um, you, do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think in terms of, um, gender diversity mm. and not being on the binary, um, and sexuality, it's amazing that they're so yeah that much more able to talk about it than um yeah than maybe we were when we were younger mm. yeah I'm, it actually makes me a bit hopeful yeah no likewise yeah. <laughs> go young it's, people go. Yeah, exactly right <laughs> go young people um the other thing i was going to ask you about is we have like are you okay day and you know things like that where you know, we're encouraged to check in on each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, I kind of get the feeling that it's it, that stuff like that is really, really great, but it's kind of on an individual level and we're not talking about kind of structural things and society kind of yep. wide things that are leading to kind of increase in mental health. And, you know, this um, report last week about increase in suicide um, and anxiety and all that stuff. Do you think that like you know, we should be talking more about kind of broader 
broader things rather than just kind of focusing on the individual all the time? Uh, definitely. So one of the reasons that I was um, admitted to a private psych ward was because my, so my father used to work at an acute adult ward in Broadmeadows mm. and he said that, that there were never enough beds and the people that got admitted usually had psychotic components to their, their illnesses. It, um, so uh, people like myself are, are normally considered quite compliant. So I do what my psychiatrist tells me to do. I take my meds when I, when I need to. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes I take them late, admittedly. But yeah, I, I'm pretty, if someone tells me that this is what you should be doing to stay fairly healthy, then I'll, I'll do most of that. Mm. Um, as, and especially when I've been admitted to hospital. Mm. Um, but that's that's not an issue for someone who has acute psychological distress and psychosis. Mm. That's, yeah, that's just not, that's not something that you can ask them to, to do because they're not able to do that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, f I actually feel like I'm really lucky that my both my mum and dad talked about how serious um, psycho psychotic symptoms were early on. So it never, I think that was also one of the reasons why I felt that maybe me being unwell the way I was wasn't that big a deal because mm. I, yeah, didn't have any psychotic components. Um, so what has been your experiences in terms of accessing support kind of for around mental illness? And um, It was difficult um, when... Yeah, so I, I first got diagnosed when I was 19 and it, I guess I had, I had access to psychiatrists and getting appointments with psychiatrists was okay, but it, was, it is quite expensive and the, some of the medications, um, I, I don't think some of the medications that, that now exist even existed back then. Um, it took a while to find the right combination of things. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah, um, usually ECT is also looked at as, um, a last resort or a, when they, when your, um, conditions considered treatment resistant. So it wasn't necessarily treatment resistant. It was just that I had been on lots of different medications and side effects are pretty awful. Mm. And yeah, so I think I, in terms of knowing that, I was quite lucky, but I don't think the wider community necessarily has access to that information. Mm. So I think GPs can prescribe quite smallish dosages of antidepressants. Yeah. But... um. They don't, yeah, if I go to my GP, they are quite anxious about prescribing the dosage of my antidepressant because it's just a bit high. Unfortunately, not all of them are quite as cautious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is also a problem. Yeah. 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 So it does also mean that you've got, you've yeah, you've really got to make time for appointments. Mm. Um, and that's assuming that you have a good psychiatrist. So I've had the psychiatrist that I've, had now for over 20 years yeah 
Um, but yeah, some people it, it's some people don't aren't that lucky. It's kind of yeah. It's also kind of crap to think about it in terms of luck, but mm. it does take a while to to find. I guess it, with any specialist, it takes a while to find out what the issue is and then who is best to treat that. And I don't think the wider community really has access to that information mm. or, um, yeah, or knows where to go and look it up. Yeah. And I, I feel like um, people are more reliant now on the private system simply because the public system is just seriously underfunded, seriously under-resourced yeah. and isn't able to respond to a lot of people, yeah. um, which then leaves the private system, but it's actually really expensive. You yep. know, it's actually, it's actually, you know, it takes a lot of resources to be able to engage with those services as well. Yeah, it's kind of heading a bit more towards the American, the US model. Yeah, of that's what I'm worried about. Healthcare, um, which also, it, it doesn't make sense because mental health issues are also on the rise. So why aren't, why aren't we devoting more resources to, to that as well? Yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned before, as a person of colour, did you find that the services that you engage with were responsive in an appropriate way to your kind of culture and all that? Um, yes and no. So, mm. for instance, my psychiatrist knows that um, my my family tend to want to be pretty engaged with some aspects of my life, but... So he, he understands it, but he doesn't, you know, get it kind of like on a level um, from, yeah, from personal experience. Mm. Um, also, mental health care seems to be really, really straight. Mm. So Absolutely. Yeah, um, I've never, yeah, I mean, it's not something I've ever really corrected my shrink on but it's kind of funny when he assumes that all my exes are males okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah like i'd imagine that would be quite hard to correct in some ways because you know it's it's sometimes these services can come across as quite powerful in the way they deal with people and stuff yep. yeah have you found that that it's kind of sometimes difficult to kind of advocate for yourself in that it's um it took me such a long time to get to the stage where I felt com I think it's maybe been the last three years where mm. I've actually admitted things like um specific things get me down to to my psychiatrist yeah. um I was joking on Twitter that a couple of months ago I had my first belly laugh in <laughs> an appointment ever I yeah I did not ever remember belly laughing at yeah at an appointment even though my psychiatrist knows me so well I mean he's seen me while I've been in hospital mm. um so yeah seeing me seeing me most definitely at my worst yeah and I'm still still so shy about yeah certain things so I've only really started to talk about um things like interpersonal relationships fairly recently mm. yeah um in your experience and stuff with, with, you know, accessing support and services, what do you think that um, we could do better as a system in terms of responding to people with mental illness? Um, 
I don't think 10 sessions with a psychologist is enough. Yes. That's, yeah, yeah. It, it should be, there may be cases where people aren't going to need all 10, um, but there sh- it, maybe it should be assessed on an individual basis mm. because, yeah, 10 sessions, I mean, for some people that's, you're only just starting to warm up to your therapist and then, yes. then you will literally be left to ponder, do I continue with treatment or um, and try and come up with the money for future sessions or, crap, I've just had 10 sessions and it was actually doing really good stuff for me. What do I do now? Mm. People need to not be in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So it needs to, it's, there needs to be a bit more continuity in terms of, you know, what's available and kind yep. of services that you can use. Yeah. So... Um, we were talking about are you okay day before and yeah. just off air you were kind of saying that I think there needs to be a bigger focus on having those conversations every day. Yeah. Um, can you talk more about that? Um, yeah, I, I, I like to tell or, or remind my friends, <clears throat> excuse me, especially ones that I know do have mental health issues. If they, if they want to, they're always welcome to you know slide into my dms im me (laughs) text me um and i can't promise that i will have i will will necessarily have answers for them Mm. but i will promise that i will listen yeah and we'll try and get info if possible um or if i yeah or just listen i think we underestimate the value of people listening to us yeah which, um, yeah, I've also found amazing about my queer friendships in the last few years, um, just being validated and listened to about stuff that maybe sounds really silly or trivial and then your mate's going, well, actually, no, it's okay to be bummed out by that. Mm. Um, it means that the next time something similar happens, you're not as bummed out and you're, or you're bummed out for a lot less time. Yeah. Yeah, great. Not trying to deal with it by yourself. Yeah. We've run out of time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That went really quick. So, um, Gemma, thank you so much for coming in and having a chat. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, hopefully we can get you back on at some point. Um, I should also add, if this interview has caused any distress um, that you would like or need support for, please call Lifeline on 131114. Thank you for listening and see you next time.